Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. In the uh, three-year rotation of readings which we use for our worship services, you may or may not have noticed uh, that on on this Sunday every year, the first Sunday in Lent, every year we hear the same story. But we hear that story told by three different tellers, um, Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, each one year. John's gospel not, because John doesn't tell this story. Uh, The first Sunday in Lent story I'm talking about is that story of Jesus in a temptation in the wilderness, which Matthew and Luke tell in 11 and 13 verses respectively, both of them going into some detail about a, about a Bible study kind of face-off that uh, Jesus got into with Satan out there in the wilderness. One clear implication of which is the observation that just because someone is quoting Bible verses, that doesn't mean the position they're espousing is consistent with the desires of God. Because even Satan, Matthew and Luke say, knows Bible verses and doesn't mind coming after them with one here and one from there and one from over there, all part of a stew that he's trying to cook and get you to eat, but whose meat and seasonings have nothing to do with the will of God, but rather the exact opposite, although of course that's not how he spins it. His spin is that of course he's talking about the will of God because these are Bible verses. Note to self. Beware of those who throw verses at you, one from here and one from there and one from over there, because contextless Bible verses thrown into stews that someone's trying to feed you oftentimes have a lot more to say about the personal tastes of the chefs than they do the desires of God. But that's an issue Matthew and Luke raise for us. Mark, on the other hand, tells this 40-day-long story of Jesus in the wilderness in two verses, which doesn't leave room for many comments about Bible studies or comments about really anything at all as the entirety of Mark's telling of the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is 33 words long. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. One nice thing about the temptation story being so short in Mark's gospel is that 
each third year when Mark has the floor, um, there's room to get some additional context as well, because that, you know, what I just read can't be the whole gospel reading. So we get that, which includes, in this case, the verses before the temptation in the wilderness, where we find Mark's mention of the very first thing in Mark, the very first thing that Jesus ever did before now going on to do all the things that he would go on to do, then Mark would tell us. But the very first thing he did, Mark says, is that he went out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the baptizer. And as he came up out of the water, he saw, and the way, the way Mark tells it, he's the only one who saw, the, the heavens torn open and the Spirit of God coming down, looking for all intents and purposes like a dove coming in for a landing. And then Jesus heard, and the way Mark t- tells it, it seems like maybe Jesus was the only one who heard a voice from heaven saying, You are my son the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. If Jesus was the only one who saw and the only one who heard, that's kind of interesting, right? Because that suggests that this whole scene was for his benefit, right? I mean, nobody else partook of it. So it couldn't be for anyone else's benefit, right? Which I think reinforces the idea that Jesus, who Paul says in Philippians, had to leave behind some of his godness in order to become one of us, fully human. He couldn't fit all of his godness into into the frame of being fully human. He emptied himself, Paul says. Um, When he walked this earth, suggests to me that he didn't maybe actually know every single thing about every single thing, which way sometimes we think that Jesus did. But that's not what it means to be human, is it? To be human, there are things you can learn only by studying them and learning them. Just as, for that matter, there are some things that maybe you can only learn by being told or promised them and believing them. Which leaves open the possibility that the promise from heaven, you are my son, and the spirit from heaven, the flesh and feathered evidence of God's promise, I am with you, were neither of things that Jesus maybe necessarily entirely already knew. But were maybe rather, well, an epiphany for him. An aha kind of moment for him out there with John in the Jordan, which would make him even more like you than maybe you realized, given the fact that in the promise, in the waters of your baptism, you were given versions of the same promises to aha to and hold on to. The promise that you are a child of God. The promise that through the Holy Spirit poured out upon you in the waters of baptism, God is with you always. But in any case, right after being told who he was and whose he was and that he wasn't alone, the Spirit, Mark says, immediately... By the way, we're going to be reading Mark all year... uh, Another note to self, Mark likes the word immediately. And you'll notice this. It's like he's got some place to go and he wants to get there and he's got something to say and he wants to say it, which is in fact precisely the case, as it turns out, which you can notice when you notice that when we get to Holy Week and the last steps to the cross and then Jesus hanging on the cross, Mark pretty much immediately stops with all the immediately's. 
which to me is his way of kind of going into slow motion. I think his way of, is his way of saying, slow down. This whole cross thing, slow down. Pay attention because this is what it's all about. But that's later, five weeks from now in worship, ten chapters from now in Mark. In the meantime, right after being told who he was and whose he was and that he wasn't alone, The Spirit, Mark says, immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days. A wilderness in which we now find, according to Mark, Jesus, but also Satan, and also wild beasts, and at least eventually, maybe the whole time, the grammar isn't actually clear grammatically, Angels. Angels like the Holy Spirit representing the caring and protective presence of God in the wilderness. Wild beasts representing the reality that there could be wild and threatening and even fearful things in the wildernesses in God's world. And Satan representing being the biblically understood reality that not all powerful powers in this world or in worlds beyond us are on God's side or on yours either for that matter. Which, of course, this whole Satan and evil powers thing is an understanding of things that might seem a little naive. It may seem a little naive, that is, until you hear about yet one more school shooting. This time with 17 deaths. And it occurs to you that we live in a world where this is no longer shocking. As we live in a world where this is no longer just so damnably wrong, that every power there is from every political spectrum there is would join hands to rally together and find common cause and say no more. No matter what it takes. But instead we live in a world where even this, even this, for God's sake, quickly devolves into more partisan bickering and blaming and doing nothing or in some cases doing worse than nothing, like saying the problem is not about guns but about mental illness while proposing budgets that reduce funding and mandates for many who care for the mentally ill, which is why then it occurs to you, or at least it occurs to me, that the truly naive are the pseudo-sophisticated who think it naive to believe, as the Bible does, that there are powers around us and beyond us and probably, no doubt, within us as well. There are powers which are powerfully not interested either in what is good or what is of God. Which is not the pseudo-sophisticated but actually naive worldview of either the Holy Spirit or of Mark, at least not according to Mark 1, verse 12, where Jesus, at the launching of his adult ministry, immediately... His hair is apparently still wet, is driven by the Spirit into the harsh Judean wilderness where waits for him 
Satan and wild beasts and perhaps immediately, maybe not till later, angels. And there in the wilderness, Jesus says, says Mark, is tempted by Satan. And that's all he says about that. That's the entirety of the story by Mark. What did that temptation sound like, do you think? Did it sound like words? Bible verses even, as in Matthew and Luke's telling? Or did it sound like no words? Just silence, except for maybe the sound of wolves growling, as in Mark's telling. Here's a thought. How about it sounded like all of the above and more? How about it sounded like each and every word and each and every sound and each and every lonesome silence which whispered both in Jesus' ears and in his soul a whisper as chilling as the desert's nighttime wind saying, You heard God talking, Jesus. You heard God saying, you are loved, saying you are his, saying you are so precious in his sight. And then saying, go out to the wilderness, go out to the darkness and listen to it. I don't know, Jesus, if being loved by God is what leads you to a place like this. That maybe neither God nor love are all they're cracked up to be. Let me suggest some alternatives, Jesus. The results, I promise you, will be not only way more palatable, they'll be way more impressive because I know how the real world works, Jesus. I'm the prince of this world. And let me tell you something, Jesus... People like you, sophomorically listening to the the loving kind of voice you think you're listening to, people like you, in the history of the world, Jesus, the real world, people like you, are people who've either been irrelevant or ignored or done away with. I think the temptations of the tempter in the wilderness sounded like every sound and every silence that either shouted or whispered at Jesus that the path he was just now coming to believe he should set out on was in in fact a path to be turned away from. Because a loving God, if such exists, isn't someone you'd want to trust your life into the hands of in the real world. But Jesus, maybe with words, as in Matthew and Luke's telling, or maybe with not words, but rather footsteps, as in Mark's telling, turned not toward but away from the one whose voice was not the voice of the Father, or the Father's love for him, or the Father's love for this real world. 
and the angels attended to him then. And a short time later, Jesus left the wilderness for the world. Which takes us to the backside bit of context that Mark gives us in this story, and that is that that's when Jesus heard that the powers of the real world had arrested John the Baptist. And Jesus, as one fully human, maybe didn't know all things about all things, but he could read the writing on the wall. And what the writing on the wall was saying in this case is that John, convinced he was listening to the voice of the same one Jesus was convinced he was listening to, and therefore being and doing what he believed God had told him to be and do, was now not just under arrest and in Herod's prison, he was going to die there. Which Jesus took to mean, not time to be scared, but rather time to be who God has told me that I am, and to do what God has told me is mine to do. And he started preaching, Mark says, and in a world then just like now that is so full of bad news, what he preached, Mark says, was good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near, he said. It's literally near, for it's near and here in me. Repent, he said, which is to say turn. Turn your steps, turn your mind, turn your heart away from the dark and in the direction of God. And believe the good news which is to say trust the promises of God and do so even when it's dark. Which is where our story for today ends. But that's not where the story ends for it is the season of Lent. And we know that after immediately and then 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 immediately comes wait Slow down, look, listen, watch, learn. Learn and know that love that is oh so loved by God doesn't fear in the dark. Love that is oh so loved by God shines in the dark. It shines, as someone else has said, with loving words and loving deeds which say and show to those who say the most powerful powers and paths are the powers and paths of darkness. Love shines, as someone else has said, with loving words and loving deeds which say and show to and in the darkness. I beg to differ. So you child of God, you beloved of God, you prodded by the Spirit of God, you guarded by the angels of God. Today, tomorrow, for 40 days, for all of your days, you go into the wilderness that sin has made of God's world in word and deed to proclaim and to heal. Proclaim and heal loudly where loudness is needed. 
Proclaim and heal softly where softness is needed. Proclaim and heal gently where gentleness is needed. Proclaim and heal firmly where firmness is needed. Proclaim and heal resistantly when resistance is needed. Proclaim and heal supportively when supportive is needed. But in all cases and in all places, proclaim and heal with love. For sisters and brothers, hate has been having a hell of a time of late. Love is needed. Amen.